So I did have the chance to talk to my mom before we went down, or we go down this Thursday, and I said, so I'm just curious. I was, let's see, 60, I was six years old when they started building this building. What was it like? And, of course, I heard this long, oh, my. She said, you, you. She says, you would throw back your curtain window every morning and want to know when were they going to get started on the church. And then you would come home from school and ask, how much more did they have to do? And she says, you would not leave those workers alone. She says, always out there asking them questions. What's next? Are you done yet? What's next? And I thought, i got to research that some more, because that says a lot about me right now, and I'm not feeling very good about it. So. so in preparation for this message this morning, I watched a movie. And that's what preachers do over Thanksgiving break, by the way. We watch movies. And we tell you we're preparing for our next sermon series. So I kind of movie binged. I watched uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Pretty good Western. Uh, Not bad. I liked it. I watched The Black Klansman. Then I watched Bohemian Rhapsody with Linda. And to put your mind at rest, this sermon is not based on any of those moments, any of those uh, movies at the moment. The movie I did watch, though, was from the mid-80s. It's entitled Saving Grace. It has a wonderful plot and a wonderful message. So in this movie, there's a young cardinal, Cardinal Bellini. He's been elected pope. And in his first year, he finds himself stifled. He finds himself trapped in the daily routines of the Vatican, more and more isolated from the people that he meant to serve and was called to serve. So one day, he's puttering around in the Vatican gardens, and his planting instructions, they blow over the wall by a gust of wind. So he goes out to retrieve them. And when he's out there, he finds himself locked out of the Vatican in civilian clothes with no money, no identification, and a a tour group happens to come along, so he kind of pulls down his hat, and he decides, well, this is the moment that I'm going to meld into the people, and I'm going to really feel like what it is to serve them again, and I'm going to hear what they have to say. Now, on a whim, he decides to head for this very small little town in southern Italy called Montepetra. It's an impoverished village in southern Italy. Now he learned about this town and its plight and its lack of a priest from a young deaf mute girl who had made her very solitary trek to the Vatican to ask the Pope specifically, will you help us find a priest for the village? Now the plot kind of thickens here, as they say, because when he arrives in Montepetra, he maintains his disguise. He, he finds though, a village that's demoralized. He finds, say, a sheep herder who has lost his faith. He finds a young gang that terrorizes the town. And he finds a two-bit mobster that runs the town. And in the midst of all this, this town has lacked water due to an aqueduct that's been dismantled and left in shambles. And every time they've tried to rebuild it, the two-bit mobster and his gang, they come and burn it down and they tear it down. So in the midst of all this, this young Pope Bellini rediscovers his purpose and renews the faith and life of this village, as well as his own faith and sense of call. And he inspires these villagers to rebuild this aqueduct through his willingness to roll up his own sleeves and get involved. He challenges the local thugs. He he defends the villagers against those who are oppressed. And through it all, this young gang, they come to his aid in rebuilding this aqueduct, and the sheep herder rediscovers his faith, and he actually ends up becoming the local priest in this village. And that's kind of the synopsis or plot of it. But there's so much wonderful symbolism in this movie. A sheep herder who had lost his faith, who rediscovers his faith, uh, becoming a priest who will now be the shepherd of a different kind of flock. 
And one point in this movie, the Pope, who is still unrecognized by the village, he's sitting in this dilapidated sanctuary of this dilapidated church and, and asking God for help in redeeming this town because he has no idea how to do this. A reminder that our dilapidated and broken down lives, I think, are often the point in which we reach out to God for help. And there's one great scene before he takes off from Rome because he knows he's going to have to lie to a few folks that he's not the Pope. He knows that he's going to have to be deceitful if this is going to work. And so he decides, I need to confess. So he goes to confession. And as he is in the confessional booth, he says, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. And he starts to confess. And as he's confessing, he doesn't feel like anybody's listening. And so he listens real quietly. And on the other side of the screen, he hears... (laughs) And the priest has fallen asleep. And I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm thinking, I don't know what God God has led me into. But there's something powerful about this when we are reminded often the church falls asleep when it doesn't realize it is sitting right beside holiness. That's what they often call the Pope. For me, the most wonderful part of this movie, though, is that, was the presence of the divine in the midst of these folks, and they did not recognize him. He didn't recognize him because he wasn't dressed as the priest or the pope. He was an ordinary person in civilian clothes living among the people. The pope is often referred to as your holiness. And in fact, in another great scene in this movie, the young pope tires of his staff referring to him as your holiness. And so finally, out of frustration, one of the cardinals says, well, what would you like us to call you? Your mediocritiness? And he looks at him, he says, no, that's a little bit too long. But what becomes apparent in this movie is the reality that holiness is in the midst of these villagers. And they didn't recognize holiness in the form of titles and vestments and robes, but in the form of love, in the form of liberation, in the form of compassion for their needs. And this young pope comes to them as a light in their darkness, as hope in the midst of their despair, as compassion in the midst of their cynicism, as faith in the midst of their struggle. And they didn't recognize him as Pope, but recognized him as faith, hope, and love. That's all they knew. Now, Christmas has a lot of vestments, if you will, has a lot of adornment, mainly in the form of decorations, in the form of trees, in the form of greenery and lights, lots and lots of lights. There's the ones on the house There are the ones on trees and bushes. There's the ones in windows, the ones at Tanglewood Park and other places. And all of these lights, they get us in the festive mood. They get me in the festive mood. I like Tanglewood. I like driving around. I like getting hot chocolate. I like walking through the shop and elbowing people and trying to squeeze into some other booth. So they get us in that festive mood. But filling in the spaces around the lights and this outdoor adornment is also the frenziness, the busyness. Sometimes the increased stress, the shopping lists, and always the last-minute preparations. It feels as if every December we, we, we make promises that we're not going to miss the moments. We're not going to miss these moments, and, it's, and we're not going to miss the purpose of it. By the end of December, though, we sometimes find ourselves sitting in a pile of wrapping paper wondering what happened and where did December go? And with all of this swirling around us, we can understand better the words that we heard this morning in John's Gospel. Quote, the true light was in the world. And the world came into being through the light, but the world didn't recognize the light. The light came to his own people, and his own people didn't welcome him. 
In this movie, Saving Grace, the young pope wasn't welcome at first because the people didn't recognize him. They really didn't want him there. They didn't really want him intruding in their business. Whoever you are, you stranger, we don't want you here. To them, he was an outsider. To the powers like the gang and the, and the mobster, he was, he was uh, a nuisance and a problem. To the ones who had lost their faith, he was this disruptor of their cynicism. They would have rather stayed cynical. They would have rather just been stuck in their own cynicism than, than worked their way out of it. And sometimes we can be mired in our own despair and addiction to the powers that we don't even recognize the divine when it's in our midst. We don't even recognize holiness when it's in our midst. We don't even recognize hope when it's in our midst. And like these villagers, we can be so fixated on the illusion that this is how it is and this is how it always will be and nothing will ever change. We don't even recognize when possibility and hope show up and offer us a way forward. In the scriptures, many, many, many years earlier before Jesus, Isaiah the prophet uttered these words, quote, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in a pitch dark land, the light has dawned. And when Jesus entered history as the fulfillment of his prophecy or of this prophecy, the world and his own people didn't recognize him. Blinded by their own disillusionment, blinded by their own hunger for power, blinded by their own despair. Blinded by their own lack of faith, Jesus as the true light that shines on all people went unrecognized. And it's as if sometimes we ourselves live in our own time of darkness. There's this continual threat of violence, whether it be a shopping mall or local school. There's the damage wrought by an unseemly, increasingly volatile environment. People in Paradise, California, as I said, now living in a place that looks like Hell on earth, there's ugliness that finds its way to the surface and shows up in hostility and incivility. There's the personal darkness of those in the midst of grief and loss, loss of a loved one, loss of a relationship, loss of a marriage. There's the personal darkness of addiction. And we've heard about this morning, whether it be yourself or a family member or friends. And then there's the personal darkness of those struggling with depression or their own lack of meaning and purpose. And then there's this Darkness of a society and creation that still longs and groans for justice and the making of all things new. As the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Christians at Rome, these words, quote, We know that the whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains up until now. See, God is seeking to birth something new into this world, our world, but until then, Creation groans with this pain of war. It groans with this pain of hunger. To date, just a little bit of an unfortunate fact, to date, since 2015, an estimated 85,000 children under the age of five have died of starvation due to the war in Yemen. And they predict eventually 14 million could be on the brink of starvation. I shared this morning in uh, the group at 10 a.m. how I didn't want to read it on Thanksgiving Day, but sometimes you have to turn towards the world. Sometimes you have to look at the world with soft eyes. And it talked about how these folks in Afghanistan who are just suffering from a horrible drought, family members, are literally having to sell their children in order to raise enough money just to have food and water and supplies. And they asked this one father, what will happen to her? He says, I have no idea. He says, but what else am I supposed to do? What else do I do? I've got to feed my family. I've got to have water. 
What else can I do? Our world groans and creation groans. And then Isaiah prophesies, the people in darkness have seen a great light. And the gospel of John tells us the true light that shines on all people was coming into the world, but the world didn't recognize the light. And like the young Pope Bellini living among the struggling villagers, and they didn't even recognize him. But here it is, the light of God often exists among us, and we run the risk, I run the risk, of not recognizing the light and continuing to live a very distracted state and a very distracted life. Now, is there a word of encouragement? Yes. And this is the word of encouragement. In Isaiah's word, a light has dawned. The full light of grace and truth has come into our world. As John writes in his gospel, the word has become flesh and made his home among us, or as um, Eugene Peterson writes in his message, has moved into the neighborhood. And think about that terminology. Neighborhoods are where things happen. Neighborhoods are where people live. Neighborhoods is where ordinary life takes place. The word has become flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And just like this young pope in the movie chose to do away with pomp and circumstance and live among the villagers that were struggling, so God chose to do away with pomp and circumstance and God chose to live among this creation and to be born into a village called Bethlehem. And ever since that time, God has remained in the local villages, in the local neighborhoods of our lives. And the light of God's love, grace, and truth continues to shine into the darkness of our creation and existence. And this light is both a comfort and a conviction. It reveals to us who we are, so we need to know and can know who we need to become. And it brings us assurance that the darkness will not overwhelm us. In other words, the darkness will not win. The light of God in Jesus shows us the way forward and the way to live, and the light of God in Jesus brings you hope, brings us hope. Now, I want want to invite you to consider just a few spiritual practices as we move into the season of Advent and Christmas. The first is this. Be open to the possibility of holiness in your everyday world. Just like the young Pope Bellini was holiness and the divine in everyday clothes through his acts of love and compassion, be on the lookout for holiness and the divine through acts of compassion and love in your everyday world. By the way, you notice this in the movie. Holiness shows up more as acts of love and compassion than it does as rigid rules of morality and super spirituality and who's in and who's out. Holiness shows up as compassion in everyday clothes. So pay attention to how the light of God is shining through everyday people. When you see it, give thanks. When you see it, add your light to that light shining through them. Help the needy. Give gifts to those who won't have gifts. Contribute financially as you feel led. Befriend someone who is lonely. Stay in touch with someone who is by themselves for the first time this Christmas. Look for the light and then add your light to that light. The second is make space in your life for the light to enter. And I know personally how often I fill up every second and hour during this time of year. And consequently, I don't leave space for reflection or contemplation. I leave no space for the light to enter and illuminate my heart and soul. And the light of Christ gets in through the spaces we create. I found myself this year intentionally looking at all of December, kind of from the proverbial 30,000 foot view, and literally leaving space open on some evenings 
to say, I have an appointment that evening. We can't do anything that evening. That appointment is we're doing nothing. That appointment is we're just going to be, and we're just going to rest. The light of Christ gets in through the broken spaces in our life. The light of Christ gets in through the cracks in our proverbial armor and defenses, and we make time for space for the light to enter and fill our lives with hope, faith, and love, and a desire to help amend our creation. And finally, make sure your wonder, make sure my wonder, that the birth of Christ child doesn't end on December 25th or December 26th. Let's welcome the birth of God's presence into our world every day. Let's be midwives to this birthing of God's presence in our world in the present. Methodist pastor and author Trevor Hudson puts it this way, quote, each one of us has been called to participate in making God's new world real. The whole creation is in labor, longing for this to happen. The church, you and I, are already part of God's new creation. Now we are called to implement this new creation wherever our world groans in pain and hope. It may be counterintuitive, but as we go through this season, not only open yourself up to the light, but listen to the world's groaning. Listen to where the world is groaning. Where does it speak to you and I? Where does it invite us to pay attention? Where can you and I bring the gift of ourself and the gift of our light to those places? If we can do that, if we are willing to do that, we will be like John the Baptist, and our lives will testify concerning the light, and the world will recognize what has happened. And the folks in the little village who eventually found out that the Pope was among them, our world will one day be able to say, God dwells among us. And it looks like love. It looks like compassion. It looks like hope. It looks like possibility. It looks like the mending of creation. It looks like wholeness. But most of all, you know what? It looks a lot like Jesus. Because if you want to see what God is like, just look at Jesus. And you will see the fullness of the divine and how it works and how God operates. God is here among us. Pay attention. Don't miss it. Be open because God will show up in everyday clothes and everyday acts of love and compassion to get stuff done, which is the healing and I think the mending of our world.